Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Uh, ongoing series about um, the people in our neighborhood. Uh, we're looking at the birth of Christ and looking at how it impacted the lives of people in the Bible, but also how it impacts our lives. Uh, so the first week we talked about the shepherds uh, and how they represented just the average everyday people in the Bible, working people, people who work for a living, people who go out, uh, who need to hear the gospel, but also the people who go share the gospel because the shepherds were the first people to hear about the birth of Christ uh, from the heavenly host. But then they went out and they shared about it. Uh, and we all know people in our communities, in our schools, in our homes, who either need to hear about the birth of Christ, um, but we may be reluctant to share it, but the reality is they might not attend a Sunday celebration where they hear someone preach about it, but they might be open to hearing you talk about it and tell them what the birth of Christ means to you. Um, they're more likely to be responsive to you than they are to a sermon or something they hear on YouTube. And then last week, uh, we talked about all the religious people, right? How sometimes the ministry leaders and the religious people, we sometimes get it wrong, right? We sometimes are so focused on uh, the Christmas decorations or you know, if we're not singing these Christmas songs this particular way, it's not Christmas. I've heard that a hundred times so far. If people change one more Christmas song, and I'm like, Jesus was born before any of them were written. He's not complaining about it. He's celebrating and rejoicing that people are singing these Christmas songs. So, um, but there are religious folks who sometimes we get it wrong and we just, we get so focused on stuff that we don't, you know, get the focus on the birth of Christ out there. Uh, and I, I will admit that as pastors, sometimes we get so focused on, uh, and I had this discussion with Mark, we get so focused on how do we tell this Christmas story again? Because we got to tell the same story every year. So how do we repackage it this time? Uh, do we call this series this? Do we call this series that? And we were both like, you know what? At the end of the day, we don't have to worry about how to tell it again. We just need to tell it. Tell the Christmas story, remind people that it's about the birth of Christ, uh, and hopefully have them rejoice in that. Uh, but this week we're going to talk about something a little bit different, uh, because just as there are hardworking people who need to hear about the love of Christ, and there are religious people who need to be reminded that Christmas is about the birth of Christ, there are also some people from other cultures and other religions uh, in our schools, in our communities, who we have to find a creative way to talk to them about the love of Christ without coming across as the people that are trying to ridicule and demean them for their beliefs. Because sometimes when we're talking to people from other cultures and other religions, it can come across that way. But other cultures uh, doesn't necessarily mean people from other countries, right? Other cultures just means people who do things a little bit differently. Like the people who live in downtown Pittsburgh, more urban environment, do things a little bit more different than those who live in the suburban area, right? Uh, and we do a little bit 
things differently than those who live in more rural areas. That's a whole other culture I don't understand. Whenever I talk to uh, Karen and Gary's daughter, Rachel, and she's like, I'm on barn duty because they have cows. That's new to me, right? Born and raised in New York City. News to me. Have no idea what it is. But it's a different culture. It could be people from different states, like no disrespect to people in California, but they do things a whole different way. They're way more laid back, whole different culture than what we have. And obviously, you know, in the sports world, anyone who follows the Ravens is a whole different culture. Something's wrong with them. But all different people, different cultures, and different religions, uh, there are definitely people in our schools and homes uh, and our communities who have different religions, which is why we should not get upset when someone says happy holidays to us. Because there are so many holidays that are celebrated during the month of December. They have no idea what you're celebrating. They don't know if you're a Christian who celebrates Christmas. They don't know if you're, you're Jewish and you celebrate you know, Hanukkah, which uh, I think the eighth day was just this past week. Right? They don't know if, because there's some African-American cultures where they celebrate Kwanzaa, right? And then there's you know, the atheists who don't celebrate any of that, but if there's a day off work for it, they'll take it, right? And then, of course, there's you know, only side Seinfeld fans who celebrate Festivus, and if you don't understand that, that's okay. But all these holidays, so they're like, happy holidays, and then Christians get mad they're like, I have no idea what you celebrate. I'm just trying to wish you a happy holiday. You know what the proper response is? Thank you. Happy holidays to you. That, that, that's the way that we should respond because there are people, different cultures, different religions. Uh, but what we're going to do this morning um, is we're going to talk about how do we talk to them? How do, we, how do we share Christ with them? Because there are people um, in our neighborhoods in our communities, in our schools, in our workplaces that don't share the culture that we share. They were brought up totally differently. They don't share the religion that we share, right? But they may come to us and say, hey, so it's Christmas. Tell me a little bit about this Jesus thing. And then we got to figure out how do we talk to them without demeaning them, without belittling them, but also still giving all glory to God. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 2, and we're going to walk through a, a familiar account to some. Right? How many people are familiar with the, the wise men, sometimes called the magi? A couple of people? Okay. Uh, Matthew, chapter 2, and here's the, here's the, here's the, here's the thing that we're going to see is that there are some people from other cultures and from other religions that are actually interested in, hey, if God is real, I really want to know him. And Christmas time is the perfect opportunity for us to reveal him to them. So in Matthew chapter 2, right, um, starting in verse 1, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw, his, we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So these are people from a different culture. These are people from a different nation. These are people from a different religion, but they're looking to worship baby Jesus. Now, uh, it's important to note the word magi, we typically, um, we typically define it as wise men. Right? 
Uh, it's the Greek word magos, and probably mispronounced that, wise men. But it's also religious scholars, astrologers, and scientists. So these were people who had studied not just their religious scriptures, but also the biblical religious scriptures, and I'll get into that in a little bit, uh, but also astrologers and scientists, because they realized, hey, if there's some historical information, and we'll see how that ties in, which is true, that doesn't conflict with science. It should like fit absolutely perfectly with science. So they sent a contingent, and we typically say there were three wise men. We don't know how many there were. It was likely a whole group of people, some to uh, kind of take care of the animals, some to carry the gifts, uh, and some who were the more prominent, actually religious scholars, astrologers, and scientists. And when it says they came from the east, now this is a rude-looking map, but when it says they came from the east, uh, I don't know if you can see it, but where it says Neo-Babylonian Empire, just to the left of Babylon, or where it says Babylonian, that little blue dot is Jerusalem, right? So this would have been the Babylonian Empire. And from a Jewish history standpoint, the history of Israel, when Israel was conquered, 722, it was by the Assyrians, which I don't know if you can see it up there where it says Nineveh and Assyria, 722 BC. Then the Babylonians came in and they conquered the Assyrian Empire. And then the Babylonian Empire became the Medo-Persian Empire. So once they became the, the, the Babylonian Empire and the Medo-Persian Empire, they were really integrated. So the religious writings that we read from the Old Testament, a whole lot of them came from the time where they were either in Babylon or under the authority of the Medo-Persian Empire. The book of Daniel shows how Daniel ruled as like a prime minister type figure, both in the Babylonian Empire and in the Medo Persian Empire. So here's this uh, think of your favorite political person. If they suddenly write a book with their memoirs, you're probably going to go read it. Even if, uh, think of, because uh, this is a perfect one. Anyone remember when Arnold Schwarzenegger became governor? And I probably just pronounced his name. Yeah. Uh, and people who didn't, didn't even like him before, oh, God, he's a great governor. They started going to see his movies, even though he wasn't from this nation, right? They were like, but he's a great governor, and he's Arnold, and he's back, and you know, all that stuff. But uh, same thing. So when, when Daniel starts doing these writings and revealing them to people, even though some of the people were like, well, he's not from our nation. They were like, well, he's a great ruler. They started reading them. And so the writings of the Bible got kind of intermixed into their culture. So when it says from the east, they're talking about people from this. Although if you look today, that same area of the Persian Empire is where we call Iraq and Iran. Those same two different nations, but that's what that was. But that's where these people came from. And they came, and because they had read some of these writings, they knew about these scriptures, right? So uh, let me jump back in. Jump down to verse 3. When King Herod heard this, that they had come, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with them. When he had called together all the, people, the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. So he knew they were talking about the Messiah. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, 
are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. That's from the book of Micah, which was written while they were under Assyrian domination, but also would have been integrated. Verse 7 says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly, because his tent was to stop the Messiah. He called them secretly, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now, it wasn't his intent to worship him. It was his intent to do this like massive slaughter. Uh, stay where you are, but I'm going to jump to a verse. In verse 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, this is after they had left, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So when it says after the birth of Jesus, uh, most theologians believe this is between six months to two years after that the Magi showed up, right? Because based on uh, that verse and when the star appeared. Now, after they, the Magi, had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Now, just really quick, because um, I think this is so cool. The word that's used for star is a word, astar, where we get a star. I mean, you can't get any more clear than that, right? So that's where we get the word star, that, that astrological thing like our sun is a star. Here's the thing, though. Theologically, it was either a, a, a physical star like our sun that God moved, or it was more of an angelic being that shone like a star. Now, let me show you why. I don't know which, because God didn't tell me which, but it could be either one. Uh, if it was an astrological being, and I totally believe God is capable of doing this, right? Because he's God. He created the universe. The nearest star to our solar system, 4.2 light years away. That means that it takes 4.2 years for the light from a star, the closest star, to reach Earth. There are stars that are farther away, some 10, 12, 14, whatever light years. But let's assume uh, that it was this nearest star that God decided to move. That would mean that when the shepherds saw the star and it guided them, God was moving it 4.2 years ago. And God is totally able to do that. To say, hey, I know, I know on this particular day, 4.2 years from now, I'm going to need to have those uh, wise men follow this star. So 4.2 years ago, God rises the star, moves the star that they follow, and it's got to go slow enough because they're on camel. They weren't on Ubers, Amtrak, or jet planes, or helicopters, right? So it's got to go slow enough to where they're still following it, and then it stopped, and then it moves again and leads them to the house where Jesus is and stops. And God is totally able to do that, to make that happen 4.2 years if that was the closest star. But here's, and that's possible because he's God. The Bible says he created the stars. He knows them by name. Totally, and this is the thing, totally something God would do so that people would come and worship the birth of Christ. Makes total sense to me. However, comma, all right, 
the word star, is also used for angelic beings. And those angelic beings, we think angels talking, whatever, but if you look through the Bible, there's some weird angelic beings in the Bible, some with wheels, some with multiple heads. So it would not surprise me that there are some that just glow and shine. And specifically in the book of Revelation, it says this, that uh, this is the Apostle John talking. He says, I turned around to see a voice that was speaking to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands, someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. Now he's talking about Jesus Christ. He says, in his, Jesus' right hand, he held seven stars. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. And the beauty of it is, is that Jesus tells him what the stars were. Jesus is talking to him, and he says, write down, therefore, what you have seen, what's now, and what will take place, and the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, that brings up a whole bunch of other questions. We can cover some other time. We go over the book of Revelation. But this is, this is either one of two things. That either, yes, God is totally able to four or ten or however many years before move a star in such a way that the wise men follow it, or God is totally able to send an angelic being who will move in such a way so that the wise men follow it. Drop down to verse 10. It says this. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented them with gifts of gold and of incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream, and of course that was by God, not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now really quick, the gifts that they bought, we always say that there were three wise men because they brought three specific things, but we don't know how many wise men there were. It might make sense that each wise men brought a thing and they had a cadre of people with them, but we honestly don't know how many wise men there were. Uh, but they're reported to have bought gold, right? Gold is the gift that you give for royalty, right? Gold is the gift if you read throughout the Bible, if you read um, uh, throughout history, whenever they wanted to honor a king, people from another nation, they would bring gold. So these wise men read scriptures and they determined this baby Jesus who they came to worship, that he is going to be king. That's why they said, where is the king of the Jews born? They also brought incense, frankincense, which is incense, which is a gift that you bring for priests. Not this pastor or priest. I don't know why then back then. That's a whole different thing. But, you know, if you want to get me a gift, gift cards to Wagner's. All right? No, no. Actually, they don't do gift cards. So just bring me Wagner's. But um, they brought incense because that's what the priests used. They would burn incense. And if you read specifically for the nation of Israel, right, they would burn the priests and it represented, uh, they would burn the incense and it represented the prayers of the people going up. But they also brought myrrh, which is only used in that time for a burial, right? It would be the equivalent of if it was Jake's birthday, and I'm like, dude, I got you this really great casket. Happy birthday to you. We have a chair with your name on it. Stand up so we can sing. That's what they bought. They bought a gift for a burial. Now, really quick, I just want to show you the scriptures that they read 
that made them go with these specific gifts. So uh, Daniel, like we said, in the book of Daniel, he wrote, in my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days, that's God, and he was led into his presence. He, he's talking about Jesus, was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So now, these people from that nation who have read these scriptures because they would have been available to them, look and they say, you know what? This baby Jesus is going to be king. They also would have had access to the book of Zechariah, which was written around, uh, I want to say the same time, 540 to 400 BC. And it says, tell him, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch. He will branch out from his place and build a temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord. He will be clothed with majesty, will sit and rule on his throne, and he will be a priest on his throne. And there will be harmony between the two. And he was pointing to two people, but Zechariah was using it. God was using Zechariah to reveal to the people that this priest, the high priest whom in the nation of Israel, that was like the highest position ever, the high priest, this high priest whom God would send, would not just be high priest, he would bring unity between the priesthood and the kingdom. So this king would also be the high priest. And we've been walking through the book of uh, Hebrews where over and over the author of the book of Hebrews uses the Old Testament to show that Jesus is the final high priest and superior to every other. And then lastly, they were like, hey, whoever this person is, this king and this priest, he's also going to die. And they knew he was going to die for the sins of humanity because they had access to the book of Isaiah, which said he was despised and rejected by mankind, man of suffering, familiar with pain. He was like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, which is what Jesus did for us. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. This is talking about Jesus, and they read this, and they felt, hey, whoever this is that's going to pay the penalty for our sins, we need to give him all the glory and honor and praise that he deserves. And Isaiah went on and said, we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That iniquity is a, it's just a fancy word for our sins and our transgressions. He was oppressed and afflicted. He didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers was silent, so he didn't open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. He was taken away by oppression from the people. But he was also taken away by the overall judgment of God to pay the penalty for our sins. He says, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. They looked, and this is, this is amazing to me, they looked at all of these verses, and they decided that whoever this person is, he deserves to be worshipped because he is going to be king. 
He is going to be the high priest, but he's also going to die for the, to pay the penalty for the sins of all humanity. They, they didn't even have the entire Bible. They just had portions of it that they read and decided that Jesus is king and priest and Lord, and we need to go worship him. And today, we have people who read the entire Bible and decide that, you know what? It's not Christian-like to honor Jesus' birthday. I don't know how we got so far from it. When people who are not even of the same culture and same religion can read what God wrote and say, you know what, whoever that is, he deserves to be worshipped, and I'm going to hop on my camel, I'm going to bring him gifts, and I'm going to worship him. Could you imagine today if, 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 if and you know, this is not a political statement, but imagine today if people from another nation were suddenly to read these scriptures and were to hop in an Uber, helicopter, plane, whatever they want to get there, and go to the White House, because they went to the king first and said, hey, where are they celebrating the birth of Jesus? Because we need to go worship him. That's how bad they thought that he needed to be worshipped. That's what they thought about the birth of Jesus Christ, and that's what we have to ask ourselves. Are we willing to go to that extent to worship our Lord and Savior? And here's another question we have to ask, because hopefully we are, right? I'm not asking you to get in an Uber and go drive anywhere, um, but hopefully we are. But another question we have to ask, if people from another culture come to us and say, hey, I've, I've heard some stuff about Jesus. I've heard some stuff about God. I don't fully understand what Christmas is about. Can you tell me? Now, the first thing, if you, if you don't have the words, go watch a Charlie Brown Christmas and, or just, just get the YouTube video of Linus explaining it because he makes it pretty clear. It's about the birth of Christ, right? But the other thing is there are some people from other cultures and other religions that are going to ask that and they really don't want to know because there are some crazy people out there. So it is okay to respectfully reject or ignore those people that are just argumentative. The people in your work who just want to make fun of you, the people in, in your communities who just want to ridicule you, it is okay to respectfully say, you know what? Okay, I, I just don't want to have this conversation with you. I don't want to argue with you. I don't want to debate. That's like someone wanting to argue and debate about your spouse or your loved one. You're not going to spend time arguing with someone about your loved one. You just say, okay, I'm, I'm going to move on. It's not worth getting into an online debate. I'm preaching to myself because I do this a lot. <laughs> not worth getting into an online debate about whether or not Christians should celebrate Christmas. Not worth the time. You're not going to change anyone's mind. It's okay to say, hey, I respectfully disagree. But it's also okay to respectfully respond. Because Christy will ask me this all the time. Her parents, her grandma, everyone asks, why are you wasting your time responding to these people? Because for every, you know, 10 people that ask, yeah, two or three of them might be just trolls or might not care or might just want to start an argument. But the other ones genuinely want to know. Can you tell me about your Jesus and your God? And I'm willing to take the risk because you might help someone and lead them to Christ, right? And if you don't know how to respond, uh, uh, you can respond 
the way that Mary did when, when, when she found out she was pregnant. And then she went to go visit Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was like, hey, I'm pregnant too. This is a Holy Spirit thing. Mary's response was, my soul glorifies the Lord. And I just rejoice in God, my Savior. She acknowledged, hey, I'm in need of a Savior. And Jesus is him. That's very simple. Hey, I'm a sinful person. I make mistakes. I screw things up. God loves me anyway, and he sent his son to be born to die in my place and pay the penalty for my sins. You could also respond the way that Zachariah did, right? We talked about this last week, uh, how initially he doubted that this was going to happen, and there are a lot of people that doubt God, but then, you know, some of us, it takes the Holy Spirit to move us, and he said, once filled with the Holy Spirit, praise be to the Lord, and you don't have to read this. You can just say what he said. Hey, Jesus came to redeem redeem humanity. He is the salvation for all people. And I love that he said, yay, just as the prophet said long ago. One of the greatest things that help people understand is, hey, you don't have to believe me, but if someone said this was going to happen thousands of years ago, and then someone else said it hundreds of years ago, and someone else said it a hundred years ago, and it happens... It's just truth. And so you could just show and share, you know what? Hey, the reason I believe in the birth of Christ is because there are over thousands of prophecies about his coming, about the way he would be born, where he would be born, how he would be born, how he would live, and that he would die. And you can even include, they were so prominent that people came from other nations with gold and incense and myrrh to worship him because they believed him. So yeah, I'm going to believe it. Or you could just say what the angels told the shepherds. Today, our Savior was born, and that's what Christmas is all about. That's what we celebrate. That's why we rejoice. That's why we give gifts. That's why we, we spend time gathering uh, all the food and extra stuff. That's just extra stuff to celebrate and rejoice in the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you guys to stand. And we're going to spend a moment in prayer. Because some of us are likely going to, over the next week or so leading up to Christmas, have some conversations. Where do they be with people who, you know, hey, have never heard about Jesus? Where do they be with some of the uber religious folks who don't want to change their mind about their traditions? Or whether they be with people from other religions or cultures who are seeking to know Jesus? We have the opportunity to point people to God. We don't want to get all King Herod and start killing off people who disagree with us. But we can... Be like the Bible says and direct people to Jesus. So God, we lift up um, um, every single person, not just here, but all the people gathering in Sunday celebrations, not just in our communities, but around the nation. And we pray that we would realize, we would keep take to heart. We pray that those of us that need a little bit of a reminding, and sometimes we do, that it's not about just the decorations. It's not about just gifts. That the reason we celebrate Christmas is because it's about the birth of your son, Jesus Christ. The love that you have for all humanity. The depth that you were willing to go to send him to be born as a man, to grow up and to die to pay the penalty for our sins. 
God, we pray that in our own words, in a way that we can do so graciously, you give us the will and the words to communicate that to those in our circles of influence who are seeking to know you. God, give us hearts that would rejoice in what you've done for us. And give us hearts that are willing to share it with those in our circles of influence. So that we all might experience the truth of what Christmas is all about. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Pray that you have an awesome rest of your Sunday. Um, If you have on the Christmas sweaters, just hang out because... There will be pictures. But um, that being said, also, uh, if, you're, if you're not joining us and we won't see you next week, pray that you have a very Merry Christmas and an awesome New Year. God bless and have a great rest of your Sunday.